0: You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right. Well, good morning again. So good to be back with you here at Rail City. So grateful to have you here this weekend uh, and uh, encouraged, just excited to share with you uh, the Word of God. It has been three Sundays without me preaching. Did you miss me? Did you miss me? <laughs> hey, it's okay. It's okay. I get it. Sometimes, you know, you need a break, right? It's like <laughs> a little too much Cam Daily. You need to just tone it down a little bit. Okay, right? <laughs> oh, man, it was so profound and, and great to be in Israel. I heard that while I was away. Uh, there was some, some just really fantastic messages. Um, as we covered so much of the story of the book of Acts and also skipped over so much of the story of the book of Acts. I'm sad we can't cover every verse and square inch of it this time. Uh, Pastor David preached a few weeks ago about the Ethiopian eunuch who came to faith, right, and was baptized. Do you remember that? Uh, hey, speaking of baptism, right before I left, I had a really cool opportunity to baptize Kim. Uh, we actually have a photo here. Uh, let's put that up. The next, No, not that one. That one. Yes, there we go. Yeah. So cool. Uh, you can Those black shadows are Kim and I. <laughs> Kim is on the right, I'm on the left, just to clarify. <laughs> but yeah, we were able to baptize her in the Inlet Ocean. Uh, such a beautiful moment. She shared her testimony. You as the community came out. Uh, and, uh, and there was just such a large gathering of people There was looky-loos who were on the beach Kind of trying to figure out what's going, happening We were able to, to talk with some of the people there It was just a profound moment and I was just thinking about as I was going through uh, the messages that we've missed I thought, wow, I, I think we need to really celebrate what God has done in Kim's life Can we do that? Let's do it. <laughs> So amazing um, and then week two, uh, campus associate Nathan Borbe, uh, he preached on Saul's conversion. Uh, I heard it was a four. Out of five? Come on, it's like, what? I was like, what? What were you guys thinking? Yeah, no, it's like, no, it's four to five. I heard it was an amazing, amazing message, and uh, I was able to see a little bit of it, uh, even as he was preparing. Nathan has a very intense preparations for his messages. Uh, And uh, anyways, I'll leave it at that. That's just between him and I. Uh, But um and then last week, uh, Pastor Eve Kennedy she preached uh, she preached on Cornelius, coming to faith, the Gentile Pentecost, and I, honestly, an incredible message. I don't even know if Eve's here, but it was like so fantastic. Uh, yeah, give it up for Eve. Oh, she is here. Yeah, there oh, there she is. Yeah, yeah, so so cool. And honestly, um, she she won't want me to say this, but uh, I've I've heard. Eve preached a lot of messages. Like, and I, I've seen her grow up over the years uh, and, you know, be our intern and pastoral apprentice and then take over the youth ministry and start preaching here at Rail City. Uh, and I'm just so, so encouraged by her and uh, wh- the way God has equipped her, the way God has called her, the way God is using young leaders like herself, like Nathan, uh, to encourage our community. And so if you're a part of Rail City, you're going to come to expect that. Uh, we, there's going to be a lot of other voices other than mine. And that is such a good thing. Uh, it's such an encouragement. And honestly, they are so good. It's not even a, like a, it's not even a downgrade. Like sometimes it's an upgrade. Let's be honest, right? Uh, and uh, it's just so good. So thank you for preaching, Eve, Nathan, David, wherever you're at. Uh, I wonder if we could just turn up the lights for David. He's not here right now. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. Inside joke. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, well, hey, listen, today we conclude Act 1 of Acts. Act 1 of Acts. It's the conclusion of a portion of the book of Acts uh, where, where we see that the author, Luke, has really been focusing in on what God has been doing specifically in the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Now, recently I was in Jerusalem. That was really cool. I promise I'm going to do that every Sunday. Uh, And uh, and now I call it Jeru, all right? So for now on, if I call it Jeru, you know what I'm talking about. But he's really been focusing what God has been doing in and amongst the Jewish people, how the Jewish people have been coming to faith uh, and experiencing the Holy Spirit and testifying and witnessing to who he is and what he's done. And our, our central character from chapter two onwards has been a person named Peter. And uh, Jesus said to Peter, Upon this church I will build my, ro- I, I, sorry, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he said these words to Peter, and we uh, are. And, and he's bold, unlike he was pre resurrection. And, and so Luke has been following alongside this story, and now Act One is coming to an end. This sermon is. The final, uh, you know, it's the final episode in the series, mini-series, Act 1 of Acts. And, uh, and, and what we're going to see is this, is that Luke is going to put a little bit of a capstone on what God has been doing in this region of the world. And, and so, uh, here's what I'm, I'm hoping. We're going to read this chapter together. It's a very large chapter. We're reading uh, Acts chapter 12, so if you have your Bibles, pull those out. If you have your Bible apps, pull those out. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the first couple of verses. Uh, I'm going to preach a little bit. Then we'll read a little bit more verses. I'll preach a little bit more. Uh, and then we'll conclude and we'll worship together. And so uh, one of the things we do here is we stand and honor the Word of God. We believe these are such important words for us this morning. Uh, and so uh, let's read this, this final act in the book of Acts. or say the, fi- the, the, the conclusion of Act 1, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. Starting in verse 1, it says this. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he arrested Peter also. This took place during the Passover celebration. And then he imprisoned him placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out to public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. We'll stop there. Jesus, I pray that we will hear from this word today. I pray that you would encourage us, uh, and I pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So what do we see here? King Herod Agrippa is beginning to feel threatened. What we've seen in the book of Acts is this. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests have become threatened by the church. Why? Because they're preaching in their synagogues and in their temples. They don't like this, right? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so this is their territory. This is their jurisdiction. But now the way of Jesus is beginning to even make its way up the chain to the Roman authorities and those who the Romans have put in place, including the king of Jew, of the Jews. And um, King Herod Agrippa is going to be the last king of the Jews. Uh, after this point, there'll be no appointed leader uh, because things will begin to crumble. And he begins to persecute some of the believers in the church. Uh, In one verse, I don't know why Luke does this. He just summarizes, and the apostle James was killed with a sword. Next, right? And I I have no idea. But then Herod begins to see how pleased the people are at this. Something is shifting for the church. I'll talk about that in a moment. He arrests Peter. He places him under guard. He's imprisoned uh, most likely in Antonio's fortress. This is the place where Jesus was held before his crucifixion as well. He's placed under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. This is important. Why? It's important because what's about to happen after this, it's important to know there was a number of soldiers there. Peter didn't just walk out, but something extraordinary is going to happen. Herod intended to put Peter out for public trial after Passover, but something's about to happen. But before we go there, I want to just camp on this text for a moment. There's a lot going on here. This happened during the Passover celebration. Why is this mentioned? Because it's ironic. In the time in which the Jews are celebrating their freedom and their liberation, they're arresting and they're imprisoning one of their own. It's just a very interesting note. Just one of the ironies that's taking place in this text. And it's being met with great approval. From the Jewish people. They're missing it. They're misunderstanding who Peter is. And they're misunderstanding what he represents. They believe he is a force for evil and not good. They believe he is not from God. Rather than someone who is sent by God. And so they arrest him. The atmosphere is changing. Now, I literally experienced a atmosphere change recently, uh, a climate change of sorts. As you know, I I was in Israel. I was in the desert, okay? It was like 35 degrees. I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt, and suddenly I arrived back here in Canada, and immediately, like upon arrival at the airport, I knew something was different, okay? Have you ever experienced this before? I was like, literally, you arrive in the airport. You're like, okay, the first thing I need to do is open my luggage and get like a change of clothes because what I am wearing is totally unsuitable. I remember actually one time when I was arriving in the Philippines on a mission trip, I walked out of the gates, it was so hot. Like so, like I'd never experienced in my life, I started squealing. Right? I, I, this is a common theme, actually. There was a group of pastors and I. We arrived in Steinbach, Manitoba, which was literally colder than the North Pole, uh, and we also started squealing. So this is just what we do, and and we immediately had to change our wardrobe. It was a change of atmosphere. It was a change of climate. For me, in a really big way recently, coming back to like negative temperatures and atmospheric rivers. I was like, Lord, what is this? What is this thing called rain? And where has the sun gone, right? And uh, this whole thing. But it's been, actually, it's been a pretty nice week. Let's be honest. But uh, I brought the sun for you. You're welcome. But um, this is what the church is experiencing. It's like a radical shift in their experience. Uh, in Acts chapter one, uh, chapter 2, verse 47, what does it say? It said that they had favor with all the people. They had favor with all the people. The people of God are just, it says that they were just, they had favor with all the people, and people are coming to the Lord, left, right, and center. Uh, the, the community around them is, is so for them. Acts chapter 4, Peter is arrested, and the religious leaders are, are afraid to really do anything to Peter and John. Why? It says because they had favor with all the people. And now we find ourselves in chapter 12, and the climate has changed. The temperature has been turned down too soon. Uh, and it's like, and suddenly they're experiencing persecution. Persecution. Now, I wondered, I asked myself this question, were they shocked about this? Like, were they like, I thought Jesus was alive, and I thought we were filled with the Spirit, and I thought he was with us always, and I thought we were going to, you know, bring the gospel to the ends of the earth and usher in the kingdom and all this stuff. And now, all of a sudden, Stephen has been killed in chapter 7, he's the first martyr of the church. Now, James, one of the apostles, has been killed by sword. Our, our leader has been arrested. I wondered whether they were experiencing some shock in the change, the changes they were, they're feeling amongst the people. I thought about this, and I thought, yeah, they're human. They probably were a little bit in shock about this. We see that they're praying fervently. But then I was thinking about this reality, and it's our first point is this, is that for those who were closest to Jesus, those who heard his sermons, and specifically those who were with him in his last day on earth, they would have remembered his message. And his message was this, because they hated me, they will hate you. They were promised persecution, not prosperity. They were promised persecution, not prosperity. John chapter 15, verse 18, he said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you, but they're not going to. He says, because they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, it doesn't necessarily make it easier for us to reconcile what is taking place in church history here, and the fact that James is just being killed by the sword, but it does make sense. In light of Jesus' words. He, he didn't bait and switch them. He, he didn't say, listen, follow me. And if you do, life will be blissful. It will be good. It will be as if you are just walking on a red carpet. And never experiencing any storms or challenges or difficulty. He didn't say these kind of things to them. What did he say? If they hated you, they're going to hate. Sorry, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. You will experience persecution and trouble if you follow me. In fact Jesus said if you want to be one of my followers. You need to take up your cross. Die to yourself and follow me. The, the image of a cross is not a glorious one. It's not a beautiful one. It is a execution tool. And this is what Jesus said. It would be like to follow him. I remember the words of Jesus. When he said blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for they will inherit the kingdom. You see, Jesus' values are upside down from the world. The world promises prosperity. The world has such a lure. It is seductive. It tells us that if we would just submit to its ways, our life would be good. We would flourish. And we would have life. But here we are, 2022, one of the most anxious cultures of all time, struggling, challenged. Not experiencing the prosperity and the utopian world that was promised to us. You see, in Acts, we see this play out. Like I said, the death of Stephen, the death of James, and now and now Peter is being arrested. And it would continue to go this way for the believers. It would continue to get worse. John Piper, in one of his articles, explained it this way. He gave a bit of the history of the persecution the church has experienced. He said Christianity grew in the soil that was wet with the blood of the martyrs. Until the emperor Trajan, about A.D. 98, persecution was permitted but not legal. From Trajan to Decius, about A.D. 250, persecution was then legalized. From Decius, who hated Christians and feared their impact on his reforms. It says, suddenly, you know, uh, there, there was a little bit of a shift. There was the first official kind of declaration of tolerance in 311. Uh, and persecution was not only legal at that point, but it was widespread. One writer described the situation like this. He said, the horror spread everywhere. Through the congregations, the number of lapsi, those who renounced their faith when threatened, was enormous. There was no lack, however, of, of those who remained firm and suffered martyrdom rather than yielding. And as the persecution grew wider and more intense, the enthusiasm of the Christians and the power of their resistance grew stronger and stronger. So for 300 years, to be a Christian was an act of immense risk to your life and possessions and family. It was a test of what you loved more and at the extremity of the test of martyrdom. You see, what we're seeing begin to happen in these pages of Acts, would continue for 300 years and has been continuing for 2,000 years since. Did you know that they estimate 70 million people have given their life for Christ? 70 million. Nearly just under double the population of this country that we live in. They estimate today that nearly 100,000 Christians die every year in correlation with their faith. And we know some of them through our global partners and and missionaries. And we know those who have fled in great fear for their life. You see, friends, here's the point. Is that they were promised persecution, not prosperity. And so when you hear a teacher, a preacher, or a writer that promises you prosperity, happiness, and health, if you follow Jesus, either they do not know church history... They have not read the scriptures or they are liars and con men trying to pull you into something, trying to gain influence, trying to gain finance. But I'll tell you what, it is not the truth. Jesus promised us that we would face hardship and difficulty for our faith. And some of you have. Some of you have on on low-key levels here in Canada. Some of you have experienced greater persecution in other countries around the world. I will tell you right now, the prosperity gospel is nonsense. And I feel so sad for those who have believed it. There are false teachers going all over Africa right now preaching the prosperity gospel to some of the poorest people in the world. And they're, 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 they're believing this for themselves, and then they find themselves wondering why it is that their circumstances have not changed. And why is it that my brother was now just killed for his faith? And why is it... Jesus did not promise prosperity for his followers... But he does comfort us. In John chapter 16 verse 33 he says this. I have told you all of this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Don't let your heart be troubled. I think of the words of Peter in 1 Peter he says although you will face various trials now for a little while it will result in the re- it will result in in the refining of your faith and one day you will see Jesus and you will experience all the fullness of his promise for you but it will not be today Jesus says, take heart, friends, because I've overcome the world. I think of his words to Martha when he says, anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? This is the promise. He says in in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him will not perish ultimately, but have eternal life. You see, our hope, friends, is not in the temporal. It is not in material things. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in a person. Our hope is in Christ. He did not promise us prosperity, but he did promise us that I will make all things new. There will one day be a world where there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering and no more hardship. I will wipe away every tear. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And the dwelling place of God will be with man. And all things will be restored. And those who are evil and wicked and pursue injustice will be held accountable, and those who have placed their hopes It is to be expected, but Jesus promises us, listen, although you may face many trials, take heart, my friends. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And he proved this to be true. How can we know this is true? Not just like fairy tales and nice slogans for Christianity. Because Jesus died and he rose, and he ascended back to the Father, proving that death will not be our final frontier. This is our assurance. This is our hope. Second point. The story does not end there, though. God does, at times, move in miraculous ways. Now, why James dies by the sword and Peter escapes in just a few moments, I honestly, I, I spent so much time just thinking about it this week. Like, God, why James? Or why, why, why did Peter get to go but James died and I don't know? I don't know. It is a mystery, and there is a mystery to God at times. Pastor Mark, our our um, lead pastor for like a, another week, <laughs> he often talked about dancing the mystery of God. He said that as we just dance with God, we don't know why it is that we go to the left and we go back, and at this point we do a spin. We're not sure. We're just following His lead, and there's an element of just trust and mystery. God does respond. He responds in a profound way. And we'll see it here. Let's just read it. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers, and others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side. It's a little aggressive, to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fall off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. I'm like, is this, what kind of coat is this? Is this an invisibility cloak? Like, what is it, like, Why is it important he puts on his cloak? I don't know. But <laughs> he says, put on your cloak, get dressed, put on your sandals. The angel ordered. And so Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, Peter, who's experienced this, thought it was a vision. Why? Because an angel has just come and woke you up and took shackles off your hands. This doesn't happen every day, right? And he says, but at that time, he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard posts. And they came to the iron gate leading the city. And this opened up all by itself. Okay, (laughs) so they passed through, and they started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Next. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel to save me from Herod, and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered to pray. He knocked on the door in the gate, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. I find this part hilarious. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. Instead of opening the door, (laughs) so she doesn't let him in, right? She's just so excited. She leaves him outside. It's like, listen, this is a fugitive, Rhoda. Okay, let him in, right? But (laughs) she runs back and tells everyone inside, Peter is standing at the door. They say, listen, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. He's in prison, okay? She said, no, he's there. Then they insisted, it must be his angel. <laughs> As if this is just like a normal thing. Like, oh, an angel is at the door. No big deal. Let's keep praying. I would be running to the door, right? Like, it just must be Peter's angel. No big deal, Rhoda, right? Like, <laughs> Why are you so excited? <laughs> oh, man. Meanwhile, Peter continues knocking. And finally, the door opened, and they saw him. And they were amazed, Whew. Profound story. Now, the first thing I want to mention is this. There are some particular details in here that just make you realize this is an eyewitness account. Okay? If you're making this stuff up, you're not like, yeah, we told Rhoda she was crazy and we didn't open the door. Right? Like, you don't write that down. Right? Like, you, you try to write, like, a really promising, great narrative for yourself You know, rather than like moments that they'll cancel you for in 2022, right? So, And so anyways, there's just some really interesting details here. No, it must be his angel. No, Rhoda, right? This whole thing. But here's what struck me this week. I began to think about this. Do we really believe this happened? (laughs) Like honestly, an angel showed up to the prison. His shackles came off. Led him out of the gate. The gate opens for its, for himself. He goes out. The angel leaves. Like, do we sincerely believe in our hearts this is the word of God that took place two thousand years ago? And not only that, like it's like okay, Peter escaped. Okay, we can kind of wrap our heads around that. Somehow he escaped. You know, there's a power struggle with the soldiers, the whole deal. But an angel. I realized something this week as I was thinking about this. I don't think in my day-to-day life, I actually truly think about like angels and their interaction with me. Do you know what I mean? Like I thoroughly believe in God, clearly. I believe in the Holy Spirit is with me. But like angels having day-to-day interactions and helping and interfering and all this kind of stuff, I never think about these things we can be so naturalistic at times we can we can wear the lenses of our culture which just believes that life is just what we can see and feel and touch and smell but the bible gives us a totally different perspective It kind of opens up our minds to other dimensions. And it gives us a perspective where there is heaven and there's earth. There's angelic beings. They're involved in our day-to-day experience. But if I'm honest, I don't really think about it that often. But the scriptures in the Bible, they give us this picture that we have to grapple with this morning. And, And here's the point I'm getting at is that I think in some ways, we as the people of God, we need to re-mythologize our faith. Now, what do I mean when I say re-mythologize? I don't mean to believe in things that are false, but to believe in true myths. To believe in true myths. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Now, the story of Christ is simply a true myth. A myth working on us in the same way as others, but with tremendous, tremendous difference that it really happened. And one must be content to accept it in the same way remembering that God's myth, where the others are men's myth, i.e. the pagan stories are God expressing himself through the minds of poets, using such images as he found there, while Christianity is God expressing himself through what we call real things. We as the people of God need to open our eyes to recognize there is more to life than what meets the eye. We need to re-mythologize our faith and angels are a part of this. Now I don't think I would have camped here in the way that I am. Except for two weeks from now we start a new Advent Christmas series called Angels We Have Heard. And we're talking about the angelic uh, encounters that people had leading up to the, the Christmas story. I think it's important for us to really grapple with this this morning. To really consider what it is the dimensions. He argues that the need in Christian theology in our time is not to demythologize our faith, but to re-mythologize it. This is where I got this idea. What we need is a thorough re-mythologizing of our everyday faith. Here's how Lincoln puts it. It is not a question of whether modern people like you and I will interpret their lives by symbols or myths, but rather the question is this: Which symbols and myths will they accept and choose? Will it be those rooted in biblical perspective or those originating from some other worldview? What he is saying is this: is that we will find meaning in symbols. We will connect with certain myths in society. The question is, will the ones that we are buying into be true myths? Be the real deal, the real thing, or just fairy tales. And I'll tell you this, as someone who didn't grow up in the church, Andrew Lincoln is absolutely right. I, even us as modern people, we will put our hope in symbols and myths. I, I grew up, in, you know, in a household where, you know, thoroughly, like it was Santa Claus, reindeer, spirits, ghosts. Halloween was like, was like Easter, at my house okay we we will find meaning i even had a very strong belief in sasquatch growing up okay and so and and still like i'm i'm still 30 percent in okay but (laughs) and we can see it today people find meaning in symbols walk around the school what symbols do you see the rainbow It's everywhere. Like they can't get enough of it. The staircase, you got the art piece, the other art piece, the crosswalk, the flag. It's just, right? It's a powerful symbol that people are finding meaning in, putting their trust in. And and listen, uh, many of my friends will resonate even with, you know, uh, different forms of spirituality, indigenous spirituality, Buddhism, all these kind of things. Friends, we naturally trend towards symbols and myths. The questions are this, are they true? Are they true? And, and the challenging thought for us this morning is this, do we really believe this? This text Do we accept a multidimensional heavenly realm with spiritual beings such as angels interacting and involved in our lives? Did an angel really show up to Peter and set him free? Did the gate really open on its own? It's challenging. And yet I do hear modern stories of experiences like these. I I think of one from Pastor Tomas from Mexico where he was heading to a a small village where he's going to go and share the gospel and share faith. And he was sitting at the gate. He was literally in his van, this eyewitness account from his lips, pouring rain, okay? He was sitting at the gates of the city. He wasn't sure whether he was supposed to go in or not. Like it is actually a risk to his life in some occasions. And he prayed. He said, God? you want me to go in the village right now and share the gospel, I need a sign. The gate opens in front of him. He drives through and it closes behind him. Gates are still opening for people. Whether you believe that story or not, I heard it from like the mouth of the individual who experienced it. Who had witnesses. I think of a story of a a recent missionary, and uh, he he was a Scottish missionary in uh, some islands in the South Pacific, and his name was John G. Patton. This was uh, in the 1800s, this took place. He describes his experience this way, one night, hostile tribesmen surrounded his mission's headquarters, intent on burning it and killing Patton and his wife. The two of them prayed all through the terror-filled night, asking God to deliver them. And when daylight came, they were surprised to see the attackers leave. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ, and Patton had an opportunity to ask him, What kept you from burning down my house and killing us? The chief replied, Who were all of those men who were with you that night? Patton said there were no men there, only my wife and I. The chief said, no, we saw hundreds of men with drawn swords encircled around your house. And so me and my fellow tribes and we were afraid to attack. And Patton says he realized that night that God had sent many angels to protect him. There are stories like these. And if you begin to look for them, there's hundreds, there's thousands of God interrupting reality as it should be. That's what a miracle is. It's just God reaching in and changing reality. And interfering with things, sending spiritual beings, sending the Holy Spirit, people experiencing healing and all of these kind of things. We need to re-mythologize our faith and recognize that there, that there is a lot more going on than what meets the eye. Now, I get frustrated with God at times, I'll be honest. I'm like, Lord, like why is it that you're like literally healing people by the hundreds in Ethiopia, casting out demons, and I pray for someone with a headache and they still need to take Advil, right? You know, like it's frustrating to me at times. But it's at times like those that I have to remind myself Remind myself of the ways in which God has moved in the past and the way in which he is moving in our world. And I honestly, talking about the dance and the mystery, I don't know why it is that he operates differently here at times. He does heal people. I could tell you stories, okay? He does. Than he does in other parts of the world. But I'll tell you this. It's real. It's real. And I think that this text today, and I wouldn't even say this is the exegetical big idea of this text or anything like that, Okay? is that we as the people of God need to re-mythologize our faith and recognize that there is a God who is moving, a God who is still doing things. So here's my prayer for us this morning. that we, Like Elijah prayed, he said, Lord, would you open their eyes, Lord, so they, that they may see. And the servant op- And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked around and he saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around him. And I, I find myself praying for, like, John on Patmos kind of moments for us. God, would you give us, like, visions that we could just begin to, as the people of God, have eyes to see what you are doing in the world, that there is more that is going on than what meets the eye. Here's my concluding thought, and it's, like, really quick, okay? Here's the last thing this text encourages me in. And that is the power of the gospel. The incredible power of the gospel. I want you to consider for a moment what has taken taking place, taking place. Jesus has been crucified. He rose from the grave. He ascended back to heaven. The church has been filled with the Holy Spirit. They have gone out. Thousands of people have come to faith. But then they start to face some opposition. They, they're, they're imprisoned. They're questioned. They're challenged. They're challenged. All of these things are taking place. And, and, and now, Stephen is being killed. James is being killed. Peter has been imprisoned. And yet, how does this section end? Verse 24. What does it say? Let's put it up. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. <laughs> continued to go out, and many people came to know faith. They can, they can imprison us. They can kill us they can knock us down they can threaten us they can try and, and extinguish us but the word of God the gospel continues to go forth into the world it continues to transform it continues to lead people to faith people are still finding forgiveness people are still finding grace people are still finding mercy and honestly I have no other explanation for a church in Port Moody I have no explanation for what God has been doing in the world other than this simple truth there is incredible power in the gospel and we see this unfold in this story and religious leaders can't even get in the get in the way of it kings can't even stop it the section we didn't read was this is that king herod goes to caesarea he gives a speech they say that he sounds like god he doesn't correct them and then it says god sent an angel and struck him down and he was eaten by worms that's literally verse 23 okay (laughs) Not even kings, not even kings can stop us. And this is my encouragement. I'll probably jump on this horse again in a few more weeks. There's incredible power in the gospel. Although they have faced persecution, although one of their apostles have died, even though they've been in prison, the word of God continued to spread, and many more people came to faith. And so I want to encourage us this morning that the gospel still has power. So don't be ashamed of it. What does Paul say? I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to save. Friends, there is power in the name of Jesus. And so, we will conclude by remembering the power of the gospel. By taking simple bread and simple juice that point to an incredible reality. That Jesus died for me. That Jesus loves me, that Jesus rose for me, that I am forgiven, that the gospel will not go void. It produces fruit in my heart and my life. I am renewed before the Father. I can walk with confidence before the throne of grace because Jesus died for me. Friends, as we come to the table this morning, we are testifying to the seen, to the unseen world, to our neighbor on our left and our right, that there is still power in the name of Jesus. This is why we do it every single week. And so I'm going to invite the band up and I'm going to pray and we're going to receive communion. God, thank you for this message this morning. God, thank you for this text. It reminds us of these really simple but profound truths. That God, although you did not promise us prosperity that we can have hope that this is not it. That God... That these things that we believe are really true. That angels truly do work on our behalf. And that God, there is still incredible power in the name of Jesus. And so as we come to the table this morning, God, I pray. That in this moment, this would not be a religious act. That we just do on a Sunday. And if, if we're stuck in religion, God, would you stop us right now? But would it be a declaration with our hearts? I believe in Jesus. I believe that he loves me. I believe that he died for me. And I still believe that there is incredible power in the blood. There's incredible power through the cross. And it's true for me. So, Lord, will we testify this morning? through this act, to the scene in the unseen world, to the city of Port Moody, that you are God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of C.A. Church.